Welcome to our podcast. Finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. But since we are a book podcast let's talk some book news before we begin the new york times posted a tweet marissa do you have the receipts do you follow us on twitter you may have seen this because i think we retweeted it right Mm -hmm. um but we're pretty ticked off about this literary news here it is so on november 20th at 10.15 a.m., the New York Times, their Twitter account for their books, which is at NY Times Books, posted an article called How H.G. Wells Predicted the 20th Century. And their caption that they wrote with this tweet was, with Jules Verne and the publisher Hugo Gernsback, H.G. Wells invented the genre of science fiction, which is false completely false False. i can't even believe that they you know who was i was just having this conversation about like when something you're like i know that went through so many different people i know so many different people approved that and that one person was like you guys maybe not the tweet is still up so it has not been deleted i feel like most people listening are probably like yeah he's not yeah, he didn't invent science fiction. We have talked about our um, our grandmother of science fiction and kind of of horror multiple times. So if you guys don't know uh, why it's it's not H.G. Wells and why I said grandmother instead of grandfather, uh, I don't. You guys haven't been listening close enough because it is Mary Shelley and. We were talking before the podcast, too, that, like, Mary Shelley is the grandmother of science fiction, and she's also the grandmother of horror, and I checked this. First of all, obviously, Frankenstein is from way before H.G. Wells was doing shit about shit. Frankenstein is from 1818, just so we all know. That's pretty early. And also, Dr. Frankenstein is literally a scientist. Like, I'm sorry. Frankenstein is the definition of science fiction. And H.G. Wells, cool. You know, we don't... Hey. H.G. Wells, born in 1866. He was born after Frankenstein was already wildly popular. It's not even that, like, nobody knew about Frankenstein. Everybody knew by then. Also, I checked... I was telling Marissa... Because I've always considered her the grandmother of horror and Miss Shirley Jackson, the mother of horror in my head. If we're talking science fiction, I feel like we have Mary Shelley as the grandmother of science fiction and Ursula K. Le Guin as the mother. But um, I was like, you know what? Maybe she is the grandmother of science fiction, but maybe she's not the grandmother of horror. I said, what about, unfortunately, Bram Stoker and... Sir Washington Irving. Frankenstein was before 
Dracula and the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. So where is there any debate on any front? And if you scroll through um, the New York Times book account, they get maybe one reply for every tweet that they have. This one tweet has 120 retweets and 2,334 quote tweets. So people were, thankfully, people were raging about this Mm -hmm. um, because essentially they are literally erasing women from history once again. That's why I'm like, I cannot believe it went through that many people. Right. And I mean, a lot of people are, if you read through the comments, a lot of people are arguing that Frankenstein isn't science fiction, but I'm not really sure why they think that. That makes no, what else is it? I mean, it is horror, but it's not, it's not a monster. Frankenstein's monster is of the human creation you know it's not like the headless horseman who's a ghost it's not dracula uh it's not whatever the frick edgar Allan poe was doing it's it's horror completely by human design through science like i said a lot of people are saying it's not science fiction but they're saying it's not science fiction because it is horror which is just like do you not realize that things can be multiple things for one? And for two, do you not understand the definition of science fiction? Like, do you not understand what that is? Because like Frankenstein's monster was made with science, guys. But but it's not exactly real, which makes it fiction. Right. Let's put those two together. What does that mean? <laughs> Science fiction. People are so dumb. I don't know. I get tired of it. <laughs> I get tired of other people being stupid. Um, in other literary news, the National Book Awards were announced. I have them here. I, Marissa, have you read any of these? No. I have not. Um, Hell of a Book by Jason Mott won book of the year shout out to jason all that she carried the journey of ashley's sack a black family keepsake one nonfiction, and that sounds good poetry was floaters by martin espada translated literature was winter in sokcho by angie abbas higgins i guess was maybe the trans later and the author is Elisa Shua Dusapin. I'm sorry if I completely butchered that name. And then young adult, young people's literature was Last Night at the Telegraph Club, which is the only one of those books that I had actually heard of prior. I was more familiar with the books on the long list and the finalists. Although I haven't heard of these books, um, just clicking on hell of a book. So the winner, it was written by uh, a black author, which okay, that's good. I love that. Um, so, and it, I'm pretty sure it's also about, I don't know if all of the characters are black in it, but the book is about what it 
means to be black in America a little bit, um, but within a fictional story, which definitely needed at this moment in time. Um, and I absolutely love this for him. So go check that book out. Why not? I'm excited. I did not know that. I'm excited about that. The other less diverse, I guess, was the Barnes and Noble books of the year, which one was Under the Whispering Door was the speculative fiction book of the year. I'm not sure if TJ, what TJ Clunes, they might be gay. Literally, don't quote me on that. But why did I think the House of the Cerulean Sea was gay? Maybe it's not. We don't know. I have no idea. Um, But the book of the year was is the lyrics by Paul McCartney, which we were a little bit like, oh, all right. Take it easy. (laughs) You know, I I'm not sure what that book is about. I think it is simply him um, going over the lyrics that he wrote to certain songs and maybe talking about um, his mental state at that time, uh, where he was when he was writing it, maybe a little bit about the actual like uh, worldly times when he was writing it. Not sure, which it sounds interesting. Totally. But um, it does bother me as a writer when someone who's already so famous is like winning these awards because we all know he has a ghostwriter. Right. And also like the majority of the book is just his lyrics, which he wrote years ago and has won multiple accolades for prior to this. So it's a little, I feel like the only reason, the only thing that makes it more, a little more disappointing too, is that Crying in H Mart, um, the sixteen nineteen project, Born on the Water, and the Sentence by Louise Erdrich were all finalists. And there you have an Asian woman, a Black woman, and an Indigenous woman. And then Paul McCartney was like, "Hey, <laughs> here I am," <laughs> which is a little like, <laughs> I think sixteen nineteen, the full book. Um, which just came out on hardcover, the 1619 Project will win stuff probably next year. So that's good. And I really want to read it. I have not read Crying in H Mart, but everyone loves it. I heard it was good. And then, of course, Louise Erdrich is probably good. Like, I think that, that the Crying in H Mart is the only one that I've actually heard of. Yeah, I know pages love Cloud Cuckoo Land, which was a was a finalist for the National Book Award and for Barnes and Noble. I have no, I don't know anything. I don't know a single thing about it. Like so many books come out in a year. Yeah. And there are probably so many good books who don't have the money to have proper right advertising and then people don't read them and they could be so much better than the books that have the money to be advertised right I mean because books are also kind of like movies right like if you don't come from a major publisher it's not going to win the awards which is why it was exciting I think that Taste Like War was on a finalist for the National Book Award because that I mean 
the feminist press is uh, still a small press. They're well known, but I don't know if they're super well known outside of our community. Like, and when I right. say our, I mean like Marissa and I being from a New York, Brooklyn, even though they're over in CUNY, um, but like writer community. Right. I, I think that they are like what I would call a medium press. Okay. Which just means that they are one of the like small presses that are more popular within the writing community whereas there are some small presses that I hear of and I'm like I'll never hear that one again right like I feel like catapult and feminist press like you may find a non-writer who knows if you find a reader they probably know about feminist press and catapult and whereas like a big press a big well-known press like random house everybody's gonna know everybody knows it and they they publish hundreds I would say a hundred at least books a year. Yeah. Um, with between all their different branches. Whereas I'm pretty sure Feminist Press publishes maybe 15 a year. Yeah. And same with Catapult. And some will do even less. The publishing world is really interesting. And I still can't decide if I want to have any any sort of hand in it or not. Right. I, I think no. Yeah. I'm feeling like no. You know, there are times when I think that I do and then I realize that I only think that I do because I think that I can, like, make some kind of difference. Right. Or people who aren't getting their books published and don't have the voice that they need, even though their writing is good. Right. Um, And then I'm like, no, I don't think that I can do that. Right. But on the topic of Tastes Like War. So... We wanted to kind of talk about something Um, after posting our episode announcement post for our memoir episode. It was brought to our attention that there were some claims made that Tastes Like War isn't totally truthful. I will read the tweet that was sent to us and it was comment. It was it was tweeted right onto our tweet. Right. Um, It says, unfortunately, Tastes Like War is a fraudulent memoir that violates ethical academic prohibitions against using vulnerable subjects for research. Please see her brother, Neville's review slash comments on Goodreads so that you are aware. Thank you. So two things to say about that. First off, if you want to hear bad things about a book, go to Goodreads. It doesn't matter what book it is. You will find the scariest comments i don't know what it is about that site secondly these claims were made by um grace m cho's family Mm -hmm. and grace is the author by the way so they were made by her family and since this memoir was written about her mother and it has to do with her family there is some pause that we have to have so I could definitely see both sides. Mm -hmm. Um, The family could be uncomfortable with what she has written and therefore they don't want it out there. Um, And so they are saying that it's fraudulent. And Grace did tweet on November 1st. She said, I know that memoirists often have to deal with family members who don't like what's revealed in the memoir and therefore disown them or try to take them down. But it is a heartbreaking experience nonetheless. So, of course, 
I could see the side of coming from a family where you don't talk about things. And then suddenly you post this memoir where you are talking about things and it's sort of not what your family wants. But on the other side, if their claims are real and things that Grace said were lies, there's some pretty effed up things to say and to lie about within that book. And I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want my dead mother's image or my dead father's or I wouldn't want people in my family's image to be slandered just so that my sibling can have a book and her time of fame. Right, right. So of course, I see both sides of it. Right. And we are going to kind of just attempt to have a conversation about truth within memoir and Um, we're going to try to be unbiased while we present both sides to you. So again, I just want to mention that the family has tweeted Grace, readers of the book, the publisher, they have said, if you go on Taste Like Wars Goodreads, you can read the comments that her brother, her brother's wife, and her nieces have posted, and I think some other people, um, and read through that gather your own opinion about um, what they're saying. They said in one of those comments that they did contact Feminist Press. Um, And I just wanted to say that because um, we're going to talk about truth and memoir. And I want to kind of ask two questions. What does it mean to have, in quote, truth in memoir? And also, who is responsible for, quote, fraudulent memoir? So... I'm just going to kind of go over a compilation of research and notes that I've gathered, and I could definitely post some links about truth in memoir and even articles from memoirists that I've found in the show notes so that if there's anyone who wants to read it, go ahead and do that. Um, And since I don't write memoir and I don't really write nonfiction, a lot of this stuff was new to me and very interesting, so... Most memoirists say that memoirs are not literal truths, but, quote, emotional truths, which means all of the details don't matter, but significance does. And also fabrication is part of a memoir. But why? Um, If a memoir is listed as nonfiction, why is fabrication such a big part of memoir? Well, a reason. Um, one, you can't be unbiased to your own life. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a fight with your sister, of course, she thinks she's right and you think you're right. But if you write a book about it, it's going to make her seem like she's wrong still because you believe that you're right. Whereas if she writes a book about the same exact situation, she'll be right in her book. So again, you can't be unbiased to your own life. Um, secondly, you can't look at the past through anything but a lens from the present. Mm. So this goes back to hindsight is 2020. Um, And you can go back and talk about a situation that happened yesterday in a completely different perspective than how you felt yesterday, simply because you've went through it and the situation is over and you're not. Usually when people are in a moment they are feeling all of the emotions, which changes how they think about it. Um, But if you 
but once you go through that experience, then you're suddenly looking at these moments after you've already experienced the emotions and you're able to have more of a clear head. And also humans are not recording machines. Um, we simply, since I'm sitting here recording this podcast, I've had about five different cars drive past my window. Couldn't tell you what color any of them are. Right. But if I'm writing a book about this moment, I'm going to be like, oh, the red car passed and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes you have to use the creative license that you have to fill in the pieces. So how do we be careful when we're writing memoirs? I've found so much information about this, but these are some tips that I really enjoyed. You can't write a story and talk about this party that you went to and then the house getting destroyed. And although all that's true, you suddenly throw in your friend drinking too much alcohol and getting alcohol poisoning and having to go to the hospital. Somewhere in that story, you've crossed a line, okay? If you make up too many concrete plot points, you've simply crossed the line. Although fiction and memoir is okay to some degree, you have to understand that there is a point where you cannot lie about things. Right. Um, Like I said, it's okay to be like, I was talking with my mom today and her shirt was blue, even if your mom was wearing a black shirt. It's okay to like change the color of her shirt to fit the mood of the story or something like that. Um, It's not okay to say you guys were talking about the death of a family member when you guys were actually talking about dinner. Right. So... I think that you have to be a seasoned and mature enough writer to be able to make the calls on what plot points are real and need to stay in the books. Um, Also, do what you can to collect the truth. So whether that means asking family members um, their sides of the story, going through old pictures, reading your old diary entries, Do your best to collect the truth, but I think as long as you have the main pictures in order, it's okay to connect the dots how you see fit. Mm -hmm. Um, And also try being upfront with what's fabricated. Therefore, you could say something like, perhaps this happened, or I'm not sure exactly how the details happened, but it went something like this. It's okay to do a little fourth wall break sometimes, as long as you're being consistent with it and it fits your writing style. It's okay to do that so that your reader knows, hey, um, the main story is totally true, but some of these things are a little bit shaky. That's fine. Again, we're human. We don't expect you to be um, some kind of recorder. I was also thinking about whose responsibility is it exactly? So, and I did find a case on an actual fraudulent memoir. It's called A Million Little Pieces by James Frey. And in 2006, it came out that this book was not true. It's a book about overcoming drug addiction. And what had happened was Mm. this was picked from, um, it was picked for like, one of Oprah's book lists 
and she had him on the show and talked to him and everything. And she said she loved this book. And I guess it was really devastating. He had a girlfriend in the book who ends up dying, all this really, really horrible stuff. And I guess people were trying to find one of his mugshots, which were mentioned in the story, and it just didn't exist. And then they begin they began to find out that most of this memoir was completely false. So obviously Oprah was pissed. Um, major characters and plot points were false. And obviously Random House, the publisher, came under fire for this also. Supposedly, this book was first presented to the publishers as fiction, who turned it down. And then he resubmitted it as nonfiction. And then they were all about it. No Which is super way. interesting. No way. Okay. So he knew. Like, it wasn't like he knew it was fake the whole time. But it was like he was he made it up. And then he was like, I'm simply going to lie. Right. Which is well, okay. very. It was a little bit. It was a little bit um murky as to whether he resubmitted it as fiction or whether the publishers suggested that he change it to to nonfiction. That's super seedy. Right. Too. So it but it is still a thing. It's a, like a, that is different than when you were saying earlier that like if you have a fight with your sister or if we were writing a memoir about going to Pratt or something and we picked a day that we had together and we each wrote a short story about it. It's going to be two completely different stories. Right. Even though neither you or I have the intention of lying, we actually remember it and then would write it mm-hmm. and saw it completely different ways. That's different than saying, no, 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 that this is fake. It's just, I'm just going to say it's real. Right. That's crazy. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah, and and it's also like going back to Taste Like War. There are parts of that where I'm like, okay, maybe they're simply just not seeing eye to eye on the situation. Right. Um, For example, Grace, throughout the book, from what I understand, I have not read the book, Liza did, but Grace um, was taking care of her mother. Right. Whereas the family claims that Grace was never around and she didn't take care of the mother. So perhaps that's just a difference of opinion as in maybe Grace was there a couple days a week and to her that was taking care of her mother, but maybe to them a couple days a week was not taking care of the mom, something like that. Right. Um, That I can understand, but there were certain stories such as um, I think she said that her mother prostituted from a point or even, okay. She said that she grew up in Korea And the brother's claiming that she moved to America before she even turned one. Right. And and, and that was another one, too, where I was like, here's the thing. We can get back, uh, like, more into our conversation about memoir. We, like, wanted to, we wanted to be, like, address this and be, like, unbiased because, like, it did come up, like, on our personal, like, social media. And we were like, this, we don't want to just, like, brush that under the rug. And like, like I said, like, I, I agree wholeheartedly to I'm like, if true, this sucks. But also at the same time, it's like, it is just at this stage, comments online, 
And like, we have literally no way of knowing, but like, I was not really under the impression when reading it that she grew up in Korea. I kind of had the understanding that they had been in Chehalis for as long as she could remember. I wasn't really under the impression that she had memories of Korea. And I don't think she super made it come across like that, at least in my opinion, as a reader. Um, And so that's why it was like, kind of like going with what Marissa was saying and like about some things, it feels like they just saw it different ways. Mm -hmm. And like, it's like when it's your memoir, you have to write it the way that you saw it. And so it's very possible entirely that she felt alienated as a Korean American in Chehalis and the brother didn't because I don't really recall her saying that she grew up in Korea. There was also something that the family said um, where they made it seem like she said that there was only a few, like she was like one of three Korean American or Asian American families um, in her town at the time. And he was like, if you look at the census, there was like right as many families, which which I understand how maybe she should have done like she could have looked that up and done the research for that. But is that one of the things where it's just simply getting her point across? You know what I mean? Right. Where she's like, I felt alienated and um, othered in this setting. Yeah. And so that's why she said it like that. That's the thing. Like, it's like, and that's why that's where I that's why I made the comment that was like, hey, we just wanted to address this. And we were like trying to be like unbiased about it because these are real people. Grayson Cho is a real person who wrote her own memoir and that needs to be respected. But then again, these are real, her family members are real people too and they are making this these claims. So we can't just be like, no, that's not true because they're real people. And also we literally have no idea. But like, yeah, it's that kind of thing that I'm like, that makes me as a reader become a little like defensive because I'm like yeah like you were saying like he pulled out the senses like we were like we don't like she felt that way and she felt that way about just being like different and like her friend is a Finnish American kid that her friend for that first part of the story who is in the Goodreads thread by the way in favor of the novel in favor of the memoir some things it feels a little bit like what Marissa was getting into like you're going to remember it a certain way. You're going to feel how you felt about it. And nobody can tell you otherwise. Like the moments between just her and her mother, nobody has any say in the mother has passed. No one knows what happened between her and her mom. No one knows how Grace reacted to her mother's death, but her. So it's like, you cannot simply say that's not true. But like, there are other things that like, if anything about, you know, if everything she said about her dad is truly fake, that does suck. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's why it's such like a sticky situation. But that's why I was also quick to jump. If you want to finish the random house story that like, it is different, no matter what happens, it feels different. Because it's like, you can get mad that someone portrayed events a certain way. But in, in the end, if, if it comes down to the fact that you just didn't experience it the way they experienced it, that's life, baby. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, and I also think I should mention Liza has read the book and the Goodread comments, right? Yes. 
And I've only read the Goodread comments. Right. I have not read the book. I've only heard what Liza said on the episode about the book. Right, right. And before you jump back into it too, I still stand by, because this is coming out now after I've posted my review online too. I still stand by the way that I reviewed the book. And I still stand by what I said in the podcast. I still think it was well-written. I still think the form was good. I still think the characterization and the plot matches up to what I said. So in no way is this a like redaction of any of that. It was just a need to like, this came up on our social media, which our followers follow. It would have been biased to stand by my review still and ignore the Goodreads comments. Right. Because, but I'm just, I'm simply stating too that like, I'm posting, I, at this point when you're listening to this, I posted my review the rate, the way that I said it on the podcast. And I still, even today, I would likely not go back and change anything that I said. I would say for me, for reading through the comments, when, when the family says things about the book, I obviously cannot pick a side one way or the other because I haven't read the book. But there were two things that the family said, um, in my opinion, that I was like, "Mm, that's something besides the book that is kind of not nice if that's how it was done, which one I'm going to ask you, they made claims that the book was ableist. I didn't. Okay. also don't want to like dig myself a hole here because like I don't have schizophrenia and I don't know somebody with schizophrenia. But I interpreted it as that it was very hard for her to see her mother with schizophrenia. Not that it that her mom was bad for having schizophrenia. That's true. You can have like, if someone in your family is severely mentally ill or even disabled, it's ableist if you like are like bad to them and say really bad things about them. But like to say it was really hard for me when my mom had schizophrenia. Sure, it was way harder for the mom who had schizophrenia. But it is hard to see someone you love have a mental health struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, severe anxiety, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia. So like I said, like I don't, I'm not somebody with one with that illness. And so I don't want to say no, it wasn't ableist because the only person who can tell you if that was ableist or not is probably the mom if she were alive, but is another schizophrenic person. But that, that was one of the things that like made me kind of upset because I was like, it was hard for her to see her mom, her caregiver in such a war with such a hard time going on in her mind, if that makes any sense. And so that was one of the things that I was like, I didn't think that. But then again, I don't have an opinion, but I don't know if they do either because they're also not schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I thought was a little bit not great, if it was true, is they said that she interviewed the mom when the mom was sick against her will. Yeah. Which... Obviously, if that happened, not great. No. Um, but we also don't know if that did happen. 
Right. And and that's the thing that's like, I'm like, this is literally, we have no clue. Right. We don't know who is telling the truth. And like I said, they did contact feminist press also. Right. And I think about it and I don't know enough about publishing houses to know if books are checked like that. Right. Um, I don't know whose responsibility that is, whether it goes to the actual author or whatever. But in this case of A Million Little Pieces by James Frey, Random House was in trouble. And whether that's because, you know, it was first presented as fiction and they said to change it or whether he changed it, I don't know. But they actually offered full refunds for anyone who had purchased the book genuinely thinking it was true. Mm, Interesting. Super interesting. But like we talked about in the beginning, Random House is such a big publishing house that if Grace's memoir did turn out to be fraudulent, I don't know what Feminist Press would do. I don't think I don't think that they would have the money or the means to be able to refund everyone. And also, I don't know if it would be their fault. And I think that I couldn't find anything on how this false memoir in 2006 changed future memoirs or publishing houses or anything like that. Couldn't find anything on that. But it would be super interesting to find out I'm now curious. And and here's the other team. Is that like that guy was saying that he got arrested and his wife died and he was doing hard drugs, right? And he didn't do any of that. And so it's like, if you read that and you really thought it was true and you were like a recovering addict and you were like, wow, I relate to this. And then it wasn't true. You deserve your money back. If well. perhaps but if it's like in in this situation where most of what grace is writing about is so personal like is very interior and about a connection with one other person and experiences with one other person it's like a little bit it feels like even if there is some way to prove it it doesn't feel like you should get your money back for it well there is some controversy still with this book because Mm. although um his girlfriend from the book lily who died well who was fake but died in the book um although you know she was fake and although he wasn't arrested as many times as he said he was and some other things he was arrested and he did do really bad drugs and he is a recovering addict so there are some people who say that, you know, overcoming drug addiction that he actually did is what's important. And all the other details he added are not. Okay. And the book being inspiration or a friend to addicts or recovering addict is what matters. Right. That is interesting. And, and then in that case, I'm like, it, then it's autofiction, right? So it's like, it's still the same message. You know what? That's this is so tough. And and that's why they put that weird that I thought I didn't like, but now I guess it makes sense. And maybe they should have one for memoir too. 
there's this in in newer books i don't know we still don't know why this is we can look it up at some point maybe for the next episode have that information for you but it says all of the contents of this book is fiction any overlap with real life is completely coincidental and i was like oh i hate that but now i'm kind of like maybe that's a good thing and i'm like in the end and I'm like maybe there should be one at the beginning of memoirs that's like because it's not memoir is not nonfiction in the same way I have a book on the history of witchcraft right that's nonfiction if anything is false in that then there's an issue because it's history right or if it's a science book if it's like a cognitive whatever science book if anything is false, that's not great because it had to be researched. Memoir is purely somebody else's recounting of an event, their mm-hmm. life, themselves. And so maybe there should be like a disclaimer that's like, this is how this person, this is a recounting of this person's experiences and then whatever. Cause like, right? Yeah. It's not being, it's not fact. It's like an essay kind of like it's it's almost more like an opinion. It's it's again it's it's that emotional truth. It's emotional truth. And one of the articles that I read, I believe it was uh this one by Mimi Schwartz called Memoir Fiction Where's the Line? She actually talks about how in one of her memoirs, she has that little thing in the beginning that says, "Oh, these some of these places and people are false and blah, blah, blah. Any similarities to real people, live people, dead people, whatever is um, completely coincidental. She has one of those, but instead it says about 90% of this book is true. And the rest are people who didn't want to be named or things like that, which I think that's also okay. I think as long as you have some kind of disclaimer, Even if it's, like I said, in your writing where you're like, to me, the night was cold. If you're saying to me, well, then no one can dispute that. If you're saying to me, my father was mean, then to you, he was mean. Right, 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 right. Like in um, Taste Like War, when she was like, my dad ended up being a racist and he said this, that and the other to me and I thought it was racist. She thought it was racist, bro. Right. She thought that was racist and it was. There's so many like, things that you know it could take forever and that's why we're never going to know but like yeah if it, it, it was like it was real to me like it, it was real to me it was real to me so with taste like war what matters with that book is um more of the meaning of it which is her you know feeling othered and dealing with growing up period right perhaps that's what matters and if if other little girls read that and they can identify with it, whether it's because they are also Korean American or whether it's because, you know, they have a, a, a sick parent or whatever it is, then I think that that is okay, maybe. Yes. But I think that we should, any, any more, any more things to say on that? Not really. We covered a lot there. Then I think that we should close it out with um, a quote from... Joan Didion. If you remember it, it's true. There you go. Joan Didion. Everyone. Um, that's all I have on that. Penelope. P.
pee. Everybody can hear you meowing. You gotta be quiet when I'm doing my podcast.